to Season 5, Episode 8 of Vixen, a Black Beauty and Pop Culture Podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is on the fashion designer behind the iconic Playboy Bunny outfit, Zelda Wynn-Valdez. Now, let's start the show. Hey y'all, welcome back to a all new episode of Vixen. We are on our eighth episode and y'all know that the season is sadly coming to a close. So, so sad. I have really, really enjoyed this season and I hope that you guys have too. I am, however, really excited for our film review finale episode, which is the final episode of the season. For those of you guys that are new here, uh, we pick a topic, we do a poll, and we cover it um, on the finale. And it usually has to do with films that resonate with Black women, Black girls, Black girlhood. And it's always a lot of fun. So I'm really excited for this season's film review finale. I've started working on it, and I'm super excited. Anyway, for this week's episode, I really, really wanted to talk about somebody who I think is also a hidden figure um, of Black History. Black History Month is over now, but whatever. It's still Black History Month. It's Black History Year, again, to quote Bobby Brown. Um, so I wanted to talk about Miss Zelda Wynn Valdez. I think a lot of us may have heard of her before, but don't know much about her. I definitely learned a lot about her um, and just her innovative ways. I did not know how much she really did in the industry and how much she did for black fashion designers. So I was really excited to cover her for this episode and I'm going to go ahead and get right into it. Zelda Christian Barbara Valdez was born on June 28th, 1905, Cancer Queen, shout out to us, in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania to Ann Barber and Jose Valdez. She was the eldest of seven children and eventually the family relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina. As a young girl, Zelda was always creative, but at first she wanted to play the piano professionally, y'all. She studied her craft at the Catholic Conservatory of Music, but dabbled in design because not only did she watch her grandmother seamstress intently, her mother had worked as a dressmaker at a luxury atelier in Cuba before she and Jose moved to the States. Zelda started off by sewing outfits for her dolls, and then started making larger patterns from newspapers. While studying music, Zelda developed a real knack for pattern making and sewing. She got so good that by the time she was 13, she was making dresses for the entire family, y'all. But when she was able to make a dress for her grandmother, who happened to be like a taller, larger woman, kind of like a stallion, um, that's when everybody knew that Zelda had it and she was super, super talented. In a 1994 interview with the New York Times, Zelda said that her grandmother was certain there was no way she was gonna be able to make a dress for her. It just would not happen. But the one that Zelda ended up making was a perfect fit. Her grandmother was actually buried in that dress, believe it or not, that is insane. But yes, I know that a lot of women who are taller, larger, they have issues with their clothes fitting and they have to constantly get their clothes tailored. So it's really cool that on the first try, Zelda was able to make a dress for her grandmother that she loved. Once Zelda graduated from high school, the family moved again to White Plains, New York. Zelda started working two jobs, one in her uncle's tailoring shop and the other at a luxury boutique. She started off as a stock girl at the boutique, but eventually worked her way up to sales clerk and tailor, making her the first black tailor at this store. She was much, much more than a seamstress, y'all, but at this time, this was the title that people called black people who were in this field at the time, even if they were like a 
super, super talented designer. It was always just, oh, they're a seamstress. Zelda quickly earned a reputation at the shop for having a creative, artistic eye and precision that you just could not beat, honey. You couldn't beat her eye. In 1948, Zelda opened Zelda Wynn, her design and dressmaking studio, on Broadway and West 158th Street in what is now known as Washington Heights in New York City. Her shop was the first Black-owned business on Broadway, and she had the Black Starlet clientele to match, y'all. So her client list was lit. Her clients included Gladys Knight, Eartha Kitt, uh, Marian Anderson, Mae West, Ella Fitzgerald, who she mainly fitted virtually before virtual fittings were a thing. So they basically just like sent things back and forth um, and got people to pick up and pass off the dresses. In the 12 years that Zelda worked with Ella, she actually only had like a, a in-person fitting with her once. And there were, and most times that she worked with Ella, Zelda would make her like three dresses at a time. So that just really shows how good her eye was that she like barely knew this woman technically in person, but she was able to like make perfect dresses for her and multiple at one time because she was just that good. Let me read a quote from Zelda herself about Ella. I was able to measure her once, but thereafter she was so busy that she didn't have the time. She would order always in a rush and I would study photos of her and guess her increasing size. She always said they fit and she'd order more, always three at a time. I never had more than three to four days to finish the gowns. I am pleased to say that I never missed a delivery. End quote. So just after one year um, of the store being open, Zelda helped found and was made president of the New York chapter of the National Association of Fashion and Accessory Designers. The purpose of the NAFAD was to center and support black designers during segregation. So now let's talk about Zelda's design style, y'all. So Zelda is credited with popularizing the freakum dress. And if you don't know what that is, you are too young. But for those of y'all who truly don't know, a freakum dress is usually a dress that's on the shorter side. It can be longer, um, but usually shorter. It's always giving body. You know what I mean? It's skin tight. It shows the curves off. It's, it's a head turner. Remember when those bandage dresses were all the rage? Remember like the dress that Jessica Rabbit wears? Like those are freakum dresses. Those are all versions of the dresses that Zelda would make. Um, Zelda's dresses specifically fit this definition and her signature touch was a very low cut top with a very body hugging silhouette and it was always super, super glamorous. Zelda's clientele was super loyal to her because she was versatile. She could do wedding gowns, she could do outfits for performances, event gowns, cocktail dresses, all things fancy, but she also made a lot of everyday pieces that could be worn anywhere. Here's a condensed quote from Constance C.R. White, the author of How to Slay, inspiration from the queens and kings of black style. Zelda was operating in a time when Parisian fashion was really ascendant, so it's pretty remarkable what she was able to accomplish. She definitely helped to popularize and define the look of a woman's curvy silhouette, but it was always elegant. The femininity that Zelda promulgated into her designs was very powerful. There's an incredible need for the history of people of the African diaspora to be told in regards to fashion and style and their contributions. Zelda falls in line with some of the most influential designers of the era, and being able to master both costume design and streetwear was remarkable and part of her staying power, end quote. Zelda went on to design Marie Ellington, or Marie Cole's, dress for her wedding to Nat King Cole in 1948, as well as the entire bridal party. The dress was very, very beautiful. It's known as the blue ice dress. This was a huge deal for Zelda in her career, y'all. I mean, this wedding was uh, strictly for the who's who of Black High Society. I mean, they had Adam Clayton Powell as the officiator for this. 
Also, Zelda started working closely with singer Joyce Bryant. Now, Joyce is very known for her sexy look, and a lot of people refer to her as the Black Marilyn Monroe at this time. So she was definitely a sex symbol. Zelda was integral in building that look for Joyce. When the two met for the first time, Joyce was just getting started in the business. And Zelda was like, okay, what you need to make it big is some sensuality, some sexiness. Y'all know. Zelda designed multiple dresses to complement Joyce's curvy frame, some of them so tight that Joyce could not sit down while wearing them. But what do we always say? Beauty is pain, okay? Fashion is pain. Zelda and Joyce developed a tight working relationship, creating many of her iconic looks. I'll post some photos on Instagram of them. And both of these collaborations, working with the Coles and, you know, working with Joyce, put Zelda on the radar of even more celebrities and big names. As the 1950s rolled around, she moved her store further downtown to Midtown at 151 57th Street, right across from Carnegie Hall. She had nine dressmakers on staff and charged nearly $1,000 per gown. So that is just a testament to Zelda's success and how quickly she rose to the creme de la creme of black designers at this time for her to be able to just move further downtown shortly after starting off, having such a full staff and being able to charge so much for her work. It was a big deal because $1,000 back then, of course, was a huge amount of money. And right now, $1,000 then would be like $12,000 today, you know? So it, it was it was a big deal that she was able to do this in such a short amount of time. Now we're in 1960. Over in Chicago, Hugh Hefner and Victor Loans were gearing up for the opening of their new social club, the Playboy Club. The magazine had hit the shelves in 1953 and the club was one of their very first spinoffs from the magazine. The club was going to be upscale, fun, full of beautiful women and right in the heart of Chicago's Magnificent Mile. So Hef knew that the girls who would be working at the club needed a uniform to add to the experience, to add to the classiness. Like he wanted to create this ambiance that was just really sexy, really fun and, you know, upscale. Victor knew exactly who to suggest that Hef contact. Zelda Wynn Valdez, of course. Zelda had gotten on Victor's radar through her work with the NAFAD and just her reputation for being an amazing designer. When Hugh Hefner saw Zelda's work, he knew that she was the right person to commission to create a staple uniform for the Playboy Club. Her aesthetic was exactly what Hef was looking for, y'all. It was feminine, it was sexy, and it shows off the curves. Now, people like to say that Zelda wasn't involved, wasn't as involved rather, in the actual design of the uniform as it's said that she was. Now, before Zelda was commissioned for the uniform, they did have an idea of what they wanted it to look like. And I, I think it was one of Victor's girlfriends who kind of was like, well, it should look like this. Um, so there was already like a high level idea of what the outfit would look like, but there wasn't an outline. There weren't drawings or anything like that. Nothing crazy. You know what I mean? They just kind of knew what they wanted it to look like. They knew they wanted it to look like the logo. Even though there was already an idea of what the uniform would be, it was Zelda that really fleshed it out and brought the design to life. I'm not really sure why people try to um, discredit Zelda here because most times when you come, when you have an idea and you bring it to a designer, you already know what you want it to look like. It. Of course, some people will come to a designer and be like, just make something that looks good on me. But most times people kind of know what they want it to look like. It doesn't mean that she didn't make the design. It just means, you know, they kind of knew what they were looking for. And she was able to bring the idea to life and make it what it is. The custom outfit included a black bodysuit, matching ears, a bow tie, stockings, a collar, cuffs and cuff links, 
heels, a name tag, and a matching bunny tail. The uniform was first shown on Playboy's penthouse. This was Playboy's very short-lived talk show. I think this show was only on for like two or three years, but the uniform wasn't seen in the flesh until the Chicago Playboy Club opened on February 29th, 1960. Gloria Steinem went undercover as a Playboy bunny in 1963, writing a tell-all expose for show magazine entitled A Bunny's Tale. In the article, she said that the costume was fitted to be snug and that, this is a quote, the boning in the waist would have made Scarlett O'Hara blanch and the entire construction tended to push all available flesh up to the bosom, end quote. The Playboy Bunny uniform was the very first service uniform granted registration by the United States Patent and Trademark Office. And of course, y'all already know, it's probably the most popular Halloween costume ever. So the Playboy Club was a really, really big hit. They opened multiple locations across the states. They opened some overseas. They had resorts and her designs were worn absolutely everywhere. She created over 80 outfits for the Playboy Club and the Bunnies. Bunnies wore a lot of different outfits. Like if they were going to like represent Hef at like an event or like they, they did a lot of charity, they would wear different stuff. So she designed a lot of their outfits. So that was a gig that was had to have been extremely fruitful for Zelda. Um, the very first episode of Vixen, by the way, was on Jennifer Jackson, and she was the very first Black Playboy Bunny and first Black Playmate. Absolutely iconic. Um, so if y'all are interested um, more on the history of the Playboy Club, you can go back and listen to that episode. It's one of my favorites. It's the very first episode of Vixen. Um, also, my main one of my main sources for that episode, it was a book by, um, it was called The Bunny Years, and the author's name was Catherine Lee Scott. It was really, really good. Um, and she interviewed a bunch of Playboy bunnies of all races. She did interview quite a few black Playboy bunnies. So if you're interested in learning more about the Playboy Club, check that book out. I highly recommend it. So Zelda did not slow down at all during this time when she wasn't designing for the Playboy Club and the Playboy Bunnies. In her spare time, she ran the fashion and design workshop for the Harlem Youth Opportunities Unlimited and Associated Community Teams. There, she would teach costume design to the students and donated tons of fabric to the program. She also co-founded the Harlem Youth Orchestra with famous dancer Lester Wilson, who did choreography work for Saturday Night Fever, by the way, around this time. In 1970, Arthur Mitchell, the first black principal dancer in the New York City Ballet, was striking out on his own and creating a new dance company called the Dance Theater of Harlem. He reached out to Zelda to join him as the head costume designer. So Zelda joined Arthur at the Dance Theater and closed her own store in 1989, but continued to work with Arthur all the way up until 2001. Zelda designed costumes for well over 80 productions, making modernized versions of the typical ballerina getup. She was the first to dye each dancer's tights to match their skin tone. Now, this was something I did not know about Zelda, and I was fascinated by this because this is a thing that we see all the time. We have brands now who make pantyhose for brown and black women um, that we can buy. So all of that is an offshoot of Zelda's work. So I did not know that she was the one that did that the first time. That's insane. This is a quote about Zelda redefining ballet costumes with the Dance Theater of Harlem from Nancy Deal, who wrote the book, The Hidden History of American Fashion. She did away with the traditional pink tights of ballet. All the dancers wore tights that were dyed to match their skin tone. The tradition in ballet is everybody's supposed to be the same hue, but they celebrated all the different colors of their dancers, which was part of a new aesthetic that championed for diversity. 
On September 26, 2001, Zelda Wynn Valdez passed away at the age of 96 in New York City. Her work was later memorialized in the museum at FIT's 2016 exhibit, Black Fashion Designers. This exhibit included the work of over 50 other Black designers such as Scott Berry, Ann Lowe, Willie Smith, and Stephen Burroughs. And that is the story of Zelda Wynn Valdez, y'all. What do y'all think? I cannot, I knew about her work with Playboy, but I did not know she was dying tights too and the first person to do it at that. And I was really surprised to see that her work has not been in any other museums. I couldn't find anything, but if you guys do, please let me know like if she's ever been a part of another fashion exhibit because that that is mind-boggling to me, especially with all of her um, gowns that she made for Joyce and all the other clients that she had. I wonder what happened to those. I know a lot of times, like, you know, the family, the estate will keep those, but I wonder if they were ever donated and, you know, put in a museum to be on display because, wow. I mean, I just think for the work that she's done, it's a shame that there's not more about her, more out there about her. I'm glad that the museum at FIT gave her her flowers, but she should definitely be at the African American History Museum. Like if she's not already a part of it, I mean, it's insane to me that we don't hear more about these kind of people um, for, you know, that are a huge part of our history. But you know, that's why I'm here, y'all. Um, so that is the story of Zelda Wynn Valdez. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, Black History Month is officially over, but it's still Black History Year, as I said. We got a new book for the Vixen Book Club. If you have not joined yet, you can join by going to thevixenmemoirs.com and signing up. Um, we have a group me chat where we talk about the book and you can follow on Instagram at the Vixen Memoirs. And I will see y'all next week for an all new episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to Vixen. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to leave a review. If you have a submission, feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back next week with an all new episode.